Some people know things about the universe that nobody ought to know, and can do things that nobody ought to be able to do. Subsequently, some people ought never have been able to adapt the work of Lovecraft for the screen. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide through the world of cinematic H.P. Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing 2014's The Thing on the Doorstep, written by Mary Jane Hansen and directed by Tom Gleiserman. And uh, I realize it's 2014 in the past. In the last episode, I kept referring it to as 2016's The Thing on the Doorstep, but it is from 2014. But before we get into discussion of the episode, both James and I have some things we wanted to talk about, which is Lovecraft-related, but not related to this mm-hmm. particular story or film. So... James, why don't you go first and, and talk about what uh, what you wanted to, what was on your mind? Yeah, um, okay, so one thing was a friend of mine um, on Facebook um, was just, you know, randomly put up a thing about a, a fake conversation like, oh, uh, you know, H.P. Lovecraft, and he's like, oh, I, you know, I love that guy, oh, yeah, 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 um, and it's a picture of him with his cat, and it's like, Oh, it's like, oh, look, it's Lovecraft with his cat. He's not that bad of a guy. Mm. Wait, what's the name of his cat? Wait, what? Yeah. Oh, and like, it's like a, like a pause, like, oh. And I'm like, so then I chimed in. I'm like, yeah, you know, but of course I use this as a time to, you know, advertise <laughs> our, our podcast. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well. You know, my friend Jim and I have a podcast about. And, he's like, and my friend was like excited, like, "Oh, really? Oh, cool! I want to say." I'm like, "Yeah, it's, some of the stuff though is troubling, mm-hmm. and this is like one of those things. It's like, and I kind of joked with him, was like, "Oh, it's like, sadly, it's almost like seeing a picture of uh, Hitler with a dog. It's like, oh, he can't be that bad of a guy. <sighs> um, no." <laughs> Yeah, and and we're we're certainly not equating uh, Howard Phillips Lovecraft no. and uh, and Adolf Hitler, but yeah, uh, it's something that we've addressed on this podcast, and I'm sure as the adaptations uh, go along, it's something we'll continuously have to address. But Lovecraft was a uh, quite a a racist and xenophobic individual, um, and yeah. if if you're wondering to yourself, well, what was Lovecraft's cat's name? Um, Read uh, uh, the rats in the walls, and I I don't I don't want to even say the name. It's it's despicable. No. But the the cat in in the that is so named in the rats in the walls is uh, based on Lovecraft's life, and it is. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, with you and with the listeners, I have trouble with this because, like I said, Lovecraft is is my favorite author of all time, and yet in my own life there is a little bit of I guess you could say hypocrisy. I stopped, you know, I, I made a conscious decision to stop uh, seeing the films of Roman Polanski because of the shit that mm-hmm. he has done in his life. He is a, a rapist. Let's come out and say it. He's not a sexual yeah. assaulter. He is a yeah. rapist. And so yeah. I have chosen to not support his work because he is someone that has not been held accountable for the things that he has done. Um, and we do have a tendency, I know, to kind of... Uh, cut people off or at least in terms of uh celebrities pop culture figures to kind of like okay i'm done with this person i'm going to stop engaging with their work let's stop following them on twitter let's stop doing all these things and yet here is a admittedly love lovecraft has been dead for uh decades but here is a person that i whose work i have loved for a long time and whose identity including his 
deplorable biases are at the core of some of his work. And I, and, and yeah. I, I must say, I've never been called out on this. No one has ever said to me, like, after I've been railing against someone, to be like, hey, well, you like Lovecraft. That has never happened to me. Which is to say that it's not something that I've I've given enough time to kind of process and, and make peace with, but to hopefully it's it's at least enough for right now to kind of say that it is something I struggle with and something that is uh, that I'm continuously trying to work through and engage with. And also, it seems pop culture is doing this as well because, as we've already talked about, Jordan Peele producing um, Lovecraft Country, and it seems like it is going to be taking a, a, a kind of that angle of, well, how would this kind of literal and or figurative kind of country or creation that this man made what would that look like or how would that be presented to someone who was not caucasian and who had a different life experience right and like we we even talked about in our technically our pilot episode about his um the way he was but like all these different writers and directors and just filmmakers and whatever in general like guillermo del toro and like all these other filmmakers that, you know, Stephen King that cite, you know, Lovecraft as an influence, like uh, all this stuff. I don't I don't fancy them as racists. You know what I mean? So it's it's but it's like you said, it's almost one of those sometimes like it's one of those things where I go, oh, man, OK, cool. It's a it's a something Lovecraftian. OK, cool. I'm into this. And then I'm. it's always in the back of my head, though. It's always like, man, like. It'd be, it'd be perfect if he wasn't such a racist and like misogynist and like just xenophobic piece of shit. But he had such, you know, and, and, and it's it's one of those things. But like, how do you separate the the man from the art? Like you said, with Polanski, I'm the same. I'm the same. I don't watch Polanski films. Um, I have a hard time. Like with Woody Allen, but that's a whole other weird thing. Like 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 he's hit or miss. Like sometimes I'll almost like forget like while watching something like Blue Jasmine and then I'm like, oh, no, right. Uh, uh, like <laughs> it's so troubling. And but at the same time, it's a lot of like different like people that are when you find out that they're awful, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, you're a kid, you know, you'll like a certain actor or something. And then years later, you find out something extremely terrible about them, like that they were just this awful person, like abusive or something like 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 you know not the hammer home but like some like john lennon mm-hmm. oh yeah who yeah. i who i freaking you know he was i loved you know i loved the beatles i still do but it's one of those things when i was a kid i really liked john lennon the most like i was just a john lennon fan and the whole mythos and you know him getting shot you know killed outside you know all this little thing is like oh wow and then you start to read and you start to learn that certain things about him like that he was abusive towards his the wife before Yoko Ono. Yeah. You know, these little things and he was abusive towards Julian Lennon, his first child, like who looks just like it's weird. And then like and you're like, wow, he's a prick. But he made great music. Mm-hmm. But but at the same time it's like the older I've gotten the more I'm like, you know what? I, I I think Paul McCartney is a better person, you know. Like like I I kind of grew to like Paul McCartney more and like George Harrison more and Ringo Starr more, and John Lennon's like the fourth to me now, and it's weird, it but it's it's sad that it, we have to like as human beings as people we have to you know we have to have this you know morality of 
okay, can I can I still like the art? But I also know, and I can have conversations with people about how troubling it is that you know Lovecraft is this this and this racist, xenophobic, misogynistic, and I know this, and you know this. So like we you know, I think we're able to separate the two, like the concepts and like the art, the the actual storytelling, even when it like it does rear its ugly head Mm -hmm. you know and it's like and it's just sad that it's almost one of those things it's almost like surprising to me again when i read something of his and i'm like oh there it is like it's (laughs) like there there there's the racism like when we did reanimate i'm like oh my god there it is there yeah why and i and i think it's safe to say that I, i i don't think any adaptations of uh the horror at red hook exist but if they're they do i'm sure we probably just won't cover them um or, yeah exactly or maybe if they do it's you know it, it done by a, a a progressive uh filmmaker but i i'm i'm not hopeful for that it's more this idea of um with contemporary times and, and and artists who are still working like woody allen or roman polanski or even you know david o. russell just being a shitty human being in general mm-hmm. um we can I, I i think there is more of a thing of like let's cut these people out or let's cut them off in an effort because they're still working we can start changing the conversation by doing that changing the way that we approach things changing the way we respond to it whereas someone like lovecraft i mean we we can't you know there's a finite amount of stuff that's that's been out there you know we can't respond to him as an individual because he's dead we can't even respond to his estate or that kind of stuff because a lot of his stuff just kind of is out in the public uh in out in in, uh, the public realm but we can recontextualize it. And and so you, you talk about separating the art from the artist, or maybe even just let's acknowledge both things exist at the same time. I was talking to a friend last night, um, and there there is this idea of there ha- you know, a mythology that has existed in this country for such a long time, and some people who are progressive kind of want to, like, let's... Uh, Let's ignore this completely and change the story, which is really, in a way, kind of changing the mythology, mm-hmm. like swinging from one mythology to another, where it's like, no, let's admit that it existed and let's look at it for what it is and also be truthful of what it is and how it has affected people and how we can respond to it. Um, well, so that this is a pretty heavy thing to talk about shortly before Christmas, <laughs> it seems like. But no, you, you had mentioned you want to talk about it, and I think it is it, it is important, because we, we certainly haven't gotten feedback on from listeners about it, but it is, it is just kind of that thing of, uh, you know, because a lot of people that, you know, pretty much everyone that I've told, like, yeah, I love Lovecraft, he's my favorite author, have also all been white people. Um, yeah. So would that be a thing, like, if I, if I was talking to an African-American person who was like, uh yeah, uh yeah you know i guess i like them but you know here's some caveats and all that kind of but it's like we have to be aware that both things exist at the same time and also recognize what effect that had well i think it also ties in with the other thing we wanted to talk about the uh news of uh the uh lovecraft uh film or so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let me okay. So i i i posted this to our facebook page shortly before we started recording. <laughs> Um, specifically the article from Deadline that uh, announced that, hey, the Game of Thrones guys, there were some projects they were attached to shortly before and after Game of Thrones came out. They were going to do that stupid, ill-advised series of what if the Civil War was won by the South and slavery still existed? And then it was, 
oh no, we're going to do a Star Wars movies instead. And they dropped out of that. And so like, what are these guys going to do? Because we knew they had a Netflix exclusive thing, but it was kind of up in the air. And, and really they could do whatever they want. And they've apparently right. decided on a HP Lovecraft film adaptation. Yeah, based on that graphic novel, right? Like a graphic novel about him? Yeah, basically it seems like it's going to be sort of a, not a fictional biopic, but he will be the main character in a world where his creatures do actually exist. Um, written by uh, written by um, Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi, uh, who wrote Aeon Flux and, and Ride Along? Okay. Yeah, like what? Okay, what? whatever. I don't... I don't... Yeah, you never know. They could have something good in them. Yeah, know? well, I mean, they, they also wrote um, <laughs> both The Invitation and Destroyer that Karen Kusama directed. Um, yeah. And she'll good. be an executive producer. But this ties into <sighs> the racism aspect in the sense of, number one, these guys clearly, I don't want to say clearly, it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like this is the best move for these guys who wanted to attach themselves to something which seemed to be Ooh, it's going to be intriguing and controversial. And what about the other side of, you know, bullshit, which about that series? But then also, and I have to preface this by, I love Game of Thrones. I should say most of Game of Thrones, because like everyone else, I hated that last season. (laughs) I think after season five, the quality really started dipping. It became clear that these two guys were done with this series, but were getting paid a boatload anyway. And stuff came out afterwards where you kind of saw that they had, you know, they were being accused of failing upward and just kind of being very clueless and stumbling their way through what happened to be one of the biggest cultural touch points of you know the last two decades mm-hmm. and but with that non-white representation in the show was a problem um now you could blame that on the source materials sure there's some validity there but also um near the end who were our most prominent um you know characters of color it was Miss Andy who you know, was made a a sacrifice or an, or an emotional. Uh, basically, her death was was supposed to get us to feel one way about a white character, right? Um, and then you had Grey Worm, who was pretty one dimensional. So, yeah. writing a film or or directing a film about a guy who has a history of racism, <laughs> how are they going to deal with this? My guess is not well. No, and it's funny because I'm like, try. I was trying to look up like you know a news article, and like Vanity Fair actually has to me like, if you don't know about Lovecraft, it's a good it's a good title. It's like David Benioff and D. B. Weiss's Lovecraft movie has a massive problem. H. P. Lovecraft, <laughs> yeah, and it actually even says that like in the first part, like that you know they ditched the uh, Star Wars trilogy that they you know they. The, you know, the whole thing with the South winning, which actually there was like a pretty good like TV movie from years ago called The Second Civil War mm-hmm. that um, um, Joe Dante made. And it's actually a really fun, satirical look at what if the South rose again and like just totally rips them apart. <laughs> but then you have something like what was that movie? Like the kinetic the Confederate States of America, CSA, like, which I think, um, um, Spike Lee produced, which kind of touched on that too. Okay. So when I heard about that and I'm like, and then now with Lovecraft, it's like, are they trying to be like, you know, like, like, yeah, let's be edgy, you know, let's be like this. And, 
and like because I don't even mind the whole idea of like doing a Lovecraft adaptation, like, like adaptation with him where the monsters are real. Okay, that's cool. Okay, whatever. Like you know, you could still touch upon mm-hmm. some interesting things with that. Like you know, whatever. But yeah, it's just um, yeah, I don't know what to think about it. Like I, I'm happy. Like. It's weird that all of a sudden, like, this last, like, six months, there's so much Lovecraft stuff being, like, produced and made now. It's kind of, like, it's weird that it's almost, it's almost, like, not that, not troubling, but how all of a sudden, like, all these, like, a lot of people all of a sudden, it's, like, Lovecraft is, like, the cool flavor right now. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah, throw that in, like, you know, like, but then, then again, like, because now the name is there. Like, now, all of a sudden, his name is, like, worth something. And, like, I'm not sure how it works with um, royalties or whatever, like, with his estate. Like, because, you know, you can... His stores are... Are, are they public domain? Uh, I believe... Like, technically? Yeah, I, I believe, if not all of them, then most of them are. And Right. Okay, uh, and and I do think because uh, I was listening to the I should post this on the Facebook page as well because mm-hmm. I was texting James about it the um, best movies never made I was listening to the episode about Out the Mountains of Madness and they yes. they were talking about speculating they weren't entirely sure that it, it uh, they thought Del Toro had kind of made a deal not with Lovecraft's estate but basically with any any kind of uh, um, right. authorial body that sort of has control of his work kind of made a deal with them as sort of like uh you know if you want to make something like come to us first or or that sort of a thing um basically kind of kind of like a weird first look deal because del toro loves lovecraft stuff so much that he kind of wants to you know he still very much has the enthusiasm to bring his stuff to life right but i i mean personally i would i would rather see a del toro adaptation of this story like of lovecraft's creatures being real and yeah. I, you know what i mean i, I think he, it would come from more of a place of like i don't know these, these two guys it's like you said it's just like two white guys just going okay let, let's just be uh let's try to push the envelope as far as we can or do they even know that they're doing that right like are they so clueless that eh it's cool and and to be to be honest with you, I I won't say this is my biggest fear, but my my best guess would be their approach would sort of be like, let's not even touch on that, let's not make that a thing, let's kind of ignore it, which is also disingenuous, especially in this day and age when his stuff is getting more popular and more people are kind of realizing, hey, uh, this guy had some shitty parts about him, and so to ignore that would be disingenuous, I think. Yeah, I mean. You know, like I always like kind of joke about like uh, like friends of mine when I tell them about Lovecraft and like the racial side, and they're like, "Oh, um, that sucks." I'm like, "Yeah." And then, like, who else do you like? Oh, I love Edgar Allan Poe. Like, oh, what was bad about him? Like, well, he was a drunk and he married his like cousin. Like that was for his fourteen year old cousin or whatever. I forgot. And they're like, "Oh," I'm like, "Yeah," but back then that was, I guess, accepted, which is creepy. And they're like, oh, God. I'm like, yeah. I mean, sadly, racism was more acceptable back then, too. But we shouldn't we shouldn't like make, you know, give it a pass either. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just kind of like weirded out that like there's going to be a Netflix like movie type (laughs) series with like Lovecraft being like it seems like he's almost going to be more of a like I wouldn't say heroic figure, but 
like I don't know, like it, it seems like he'll be the protagonist of this story. Yeah, and it's kind of like it almost should be like Lovecraft should be the almost like unnamed um narrator of his story which would make more sense like you know what i mean like how mm-hmm. most of the stories have like a unnamed narrator or like you know the narrator like the name but he's kind of like just looking back at his story so of course that would be an interesting take just him like kind of going you know almost recounting all this stuff but then what you could do is that at the end like where he sees all these monsters that are real but at the end, you just see him being like an awful person. And you're like, oh, he convinced himself that being racist and stuff like like from our point of view of the movie, it's him saying like, oh, my God, look, it's, you know, the, the, the old ones are coming and like this and like, oh, I got to write like, the awful of humanity. Mm-hmm. But then you just see him just being a prick, like just being an awful person to like black people and women. And you're like, oh, he's just an asshole at the end. <laughs> like. I hope that they do that. They end on a freeze frame and they play that. And then the credits start rolling. And Porky Pig goes, that's all, folks. I would... I'm wondering, because I mean, we're just kind of spitballing here. I almost wonder if it's something where it's like... he could They could do something where it is sort of like a... A Herbert West style setup in the sense mm. of we have our our narrator and then we have this side character who mm. is one dimensional but also the kind of the you know the one through things through through whom all the the crazy shit is happening right um and he sort of writes all this stuff down and he's like he's the crazy paranoid one that's like eventually reveals to this guy like oh yeah these things are real mm. um and this guy I don't know because I'm I'm trying to kind of um. No, because this sidesteps the racism thing too. Because I was gonna be like, right. maybe this guy wasn't the author of these things, but he kind of lends his name. You know, oh, I'll I'll write this stuff under my name so that his his this guy's credibility comes out. But then it's still like, well, oh, but then you still have <clears throat> racist writing, so that that doesn't get around it either. But yeah, I think either way, it's 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 hard because hell, there's even a a kid series of like yeah. animated films about little little child little kid Lovecraft, you know, yep. which is weird. Like, really? Like, I I haven't watched them, and there's like I think there's three of them, and like I think at some point we have we have to cover a kid series because like yeah. that's a whole other like because they could be good for all I know I don't know but like I just it's weird that we're in that kind of world where like you know kids fit you know like oh look he's so cute mm-hmm. you know I don't think they touch on the racism at all you know but well and and that's the thing yeah because there's children's books and audio tales about like Lil Cthulhu and they kind of make it this cute thing when it's like right uh, um are you aware of uh, you know what I, I don't want to be the one to spoil it for you no <laughs> no exactly. um, even though I often am the one spoiling it for people but um <laughs> but yeah that's our that's our uh kind of thoughts about that I mean and it's it's I don't I won't say that I feel bad for Benioff and Weiss but it does seem like anything they attach themselves to people are like fuck you guys get out of here like they the civil war the civil war thing they admit they dropped out of star wars because of uh you know toxic fandom and they wouldn't be able to handle it because of all the backlash after game of thrones which cry me a river um but then this too is and i don't think lovecraft is enough of an entity yet where people are like oh cool these guys i I think a lot of people are like oh the game of thrones guys are doing wait what yeah so we'll see that's how i feel too yeah we'll see i mean what is that like in the next like couple of years we'll 
we'll, we'll see if it actually does come. Like, you know, who knows? Even though it's a $200 million deal with Netflix, you never know. Like, Yeah, well, and, and apparently this, the deadline story says this deal was, uh, this movie thing was was kind of before the whole Netflix deal. Like, this was not connected to it. It was sort of the one okay. of the things that was in the work. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. I wonder, too, if, um, if uh, Stanley's The Color Out of Space will kind of determine what they do with it. Yeah, because I mean that you know we had touched upon that that now they're not not a, not a trilogy they're, they're doing a trilogy of films but not you know basically just tying it in like almost as a Lovecraftian like you know universe you know like of films which I think could work too like where you have this story and then whatever the t- other two that they're going to adapt like you could even have you know throwbacks to the previous films like just like oh you know like nicholas cage is you know like his character like is on news something you know something like you can tie it in in a clever way which but i kind of have more faith in those than than uh the game of thrones guys yeah we'll we'll see um and and you i mean you're you're a bigger stanley fan than i am uh so we'll and, yeah and w- which is once again i want to reiterate i haven't seen anything richard stanley has actually directed <laughs> so um, I'm more just basing it on on uh, the good faith of, of people that I trust and who rave about his stuff as you do. So, yeah. but um, so that that's it for our I guess our our news corner of the <laughs> cast of Cthulhu. So let's get on to uh, the discussion of the thing on the doorstep and uh, first a little bit of background on the story as I am wont to do. Um, this was the as I said in the last episode the fifth to last thing that he ever wrote. Um, it was written. Uh, from in August 21st to the 24th of 1933 and published in Weird Tales January 1937 which actually turned out to be 2 months before he died. Um he was so displeased with that that he actually refused to submit it anywhere but he was eventually convinced by a friend Julius Schwartz in 1936 to market some of his tales in England and uh Weird Tales was uh, eager and enthusiastic to to take it from him and to publish it from him. Um Rereading this again, I can certainly see how the consensus is that it's one of the worst things that he's written. Even S.T. Josie in his book, H.P. Lovecraft, A Life, refers to it as, quote, one of Lovecraft's poorest stories. And it's, you can kind of see why, because it, it certainly has a lot of references to other stories with the, the Shoggoths and Azathoth and, uh, you know, Ephraim Waite being an Innsmouth uh, resident, or in Innsmouth resident, I should say, sorry for the pronunciation. Um, but then also, it it has some themes from other stories or that he would do better in other stories like the especially like there's some little bit of shades of like the case of charles dexter ward with like a person from the past like taking over a person in contemporary time um the dimensional stuff would kind of be explored in the shadow out of time a little bit later And, and it's just kind of a kind of a boring story to be honest with you i think yeah i mean and that's kind of like the crux of uh the adaptation in a way like if the story's boring the adaptation might be kind of boring too mm-hmm. you know and like i mean it's been there's been books like i'll get like example children of men the actual book to me was kind of boring oh the movie is actually one of my favorites of the last 20 years so mm-hmm. it's like so sometimes you can actually at least in my opinion you can kind of up the ante with a story like the story has a good concept and like you said technically this this has a good concept you know it it does i think it has a good through line but i yeah i i I just think that depending on who's making the movie 
you can do more with it. And like this, like I think you even you've even said, is a pretty straight adaptation mm. of the original story. Yeah. Does that? But does that make a good film? Yeah. Th- this may be uh, granted in in the early stages of our podcast. The the first example of like this is a really good adaptation in yeah. the sense of all the major plot points are there, the characters, the beats, and it even adds some stuff which I think is interesting. Yeah. Uh, that the story didn't have, but it's not a good film. Um, and and as you said, if the source material is not great, you know, Akira Kurosawa said, like, you know, even a great filmmaker cannot make a great film out of a bad script. Which okay. this isn't to say that I the I think that the script by uh, Mary Jane Hansen is actually decent mm-hmm. in what they add to it. But I think also right. we were talking off mic that. Uh, the, uh, to direct this kind of film, like you need to have a director which really understands and can explore the internal nature of a character, because especially when it comes to um, Edward Derby, we just kind of hear secondhand. He tells us what he's thinking, but we're not really exploring it, and that relies on a really good actor. And it's funny, even if you go on IMDb and look on the thing on the doorstep, the guy that plays Edward Derby is not listed on there. Well, yeah, that I did. You know, I I was trying to find him and like that makes it actually kind of creepier that like <laughs> did, what did he but but at the same time there's only four people credited yeah uh it's it's quite strange but i think because yeah the guy that plays edward derby is just not very good in in the sense of at least and there's some subjectivity here where when i was reading it this you know the story of this guy who was kind of um in a stage of sort of arrested development you know he's kind of he was a uh, there's these autobiographical elements of a of a, a young guy that was kind of excelled intellectually, but had you know was kind of chained to the side of like doting parents, like hey, that right. sounds a lot like our author, um, <laughs> and and you know who who's kind of a, a little bit immature and has a weird fascination with some of the macabre stuff, and then you have this actor who kind of comes in and just kind of plays him as sort of like a oh he's always doing these stupid immature jokes and pranks, yeah. and and then. He's eccentric. Yeah, it's sort of like, okay, this guy's just kind of like an annoying grown-up frat boy, and then the scenes in the book when we realize in retrospect he was possessed by his his wife wife as an uh, weight. Yeah. There's supposed to be, the the text would have us to believe there's this tonal shift where it just sort of seems like he's almost kind of robotic and not himself, and in the film, the guy just kind of plays it as like, yeah, he's just kind of real sad, he's sulking on the stairs, and it's just... Okay, this guy does not or, have the depth. No, and like, 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 it's sad because, um, the guy who plays Daniel David Bunce, who I've seen in other films, like, the more I looked at him, like, I know, and then I'm looking up his IMDb. He's done a like a lot of like cheesy like horror sci-fi films, but he's, but he's always good in them. And like in this, he, I think he's actually like the only reason I kept kind of watching it was, I think he emoted, like. You know, like like us, like the audience of what do I believe? What do I, you know, if this is my friend. My wife is telling me like, no, like he's he's crazy. Like he's an awful, you know, he's an awful person, Daniel. <laughs> and he's like, will you stop it? But at the same time, um, there's a scene when they're at the motel after he wandered to Maine. And like, like, you know, and then the sheriff who's like asking like, oh, you know, give me a call if you know anything, which I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, because then he later never calls him, you know, like he never tells him <laughs> anything. And they're in the, and you know, he's telling him and then he's like, he just gets up, goes into the bathroom. And like, you know, as an audience right away, I'm like, oh, she, she has possession of him. Like, 
So the guy is good enough that, you know, he kind of gets up, like you said, robotic. But it's comical because he's looking in the mirror, which is a weird thing. He Like, whenever she, like, possesses him, she looks at a reflection of himself. Like, to make sure, oh, I'm, I'm him now. Like, yeah, I think you should know. Like, like it's just a weird, like, tell, like, visually. Like, uh, I understand you have to do it visually as opposed to, you know, figuratively. Like, you have to, sh- you know, you have to show... But and he's but he's just like kind of drinking water. And he's like, I'm fine, Daniel. Let's like and like come on. But even right away, he's just like, uh, uh, I'm going to drive. And it's like, wait, it about he doesn't drive. You know, <laughs> that was that was so funny to me. One of the things that doesn't translate well from the text was that they they find it so fascinating. Like there was something wrong with him. He was driving a car and he doesn't do that. Like, uh, I know, I know. Okay. But I don't, I don't drive anymore either. But like, because that's only because I live in New York City, right? And, like, and, that, and that's the thing know? in the in the twenties and thirties <laughs> when cars weren't as prevalent, and it was right. sort of like a, a, a sign of a show of privilege too. And like, and this, uh, it was sort of like that makes more sense. Like, I I don't remember I him doing, but in like, yeah, in a movie that's set in contemporary times, like it, he, it was so strange. He was driving a car. Can you believe it? Like, uh, yeah, all right, and, that and and the knock, you know, which I understand the knock, and then he rings the bell. Yeah, and. And I, I liked that, but then it was also right. like by the end, we also kind of, you kind of catch on to what's happening, you understand right. it. So that's why you kind of need a, a director, both a director and an actor who can be like, here's these subtle and yet significant ways. It's like, wait, that's, that was fucking weird. And it's just, yeah. instead we get this guy's like, oh, here I am. And then like, no, um, I'm fine. Good to see you. Let's give not- me, yeah, do you have those architectural books? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Here. Bye. Yeah. yeah. Like what? <laughs> Yeah, we're we're not believing it, and I, I think it, this ties into arguably one of the film's biggest flaws in that, and I realize you kind of have to do this when you have budgetary constraints and you can't create props and go to locations. They set the film in contemporary times, which obviously makes sense for if you're making this movie in 2014, but also one of the things that made this story a little bit easier to get into emotionally and tonally was that the 1920s and 1930s, uh, when there's this idea of like, you know, he was dabbling in, you know, there's, there's talk of him dabbling in black magic and cult and right. weird dark arts kind of things like, oh, OK, you can kind of maybe understand that. But nowadays, it's sort of like, well, that stuff's silly and bullshit. And we know that. So to kind of be like, oh, he's he's practicing black magic. Like, OK, so, yeah, he's just fucking crazy then. Right. Like like when the father's like, oh, you don't know about about Asenath? Like, what do you mean? Like, mm-hmm. she's a she's a necromancer. A witch. And, like, like I understand, you know, of course, that you find out your son's, you know, dating a witch necromancer. It's kind of, it's kind of a, you know, ooh, can, can you please tell him to stop being with her? <laughs> like, what? Like, and like you said, it's it's too straight of an adaptation. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, and, like, and nothing against the screenwriter. She's taking the source material and forming it to a contemporary time. But it's like... That weird thing with some Shakespeare adaptations where, like, you either adapt it to present day and you meld it with present day stuff, but with the old school, you know, sayings. Like, 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 no matter what people might say, I kind of like what they did with the Baz Luhrmann, you know, Romeo and Juliet. I think that's like a a good contemporary retelling of that story with certain things with the guns and like, you know, little tells like. But this is like, like you said, yeah, he would be crazy. 
Like, yeah. like you're you're a nut. Like, no matter what. Like the the wife is more or less what most people would say. Like, oh yeah, he's crazy. He's there's something wrong with him. Yeah, it, it, these he's days, an awful person. Yeah, these days you're more likely to hear someone like, oh well, you know that woman's a necromancer. Like, you're more likely to hear that from an older conservative person describing someone who voted for Jill Stein or, or, or will vote for war. Like, oh, of course, because she's a necromancer. Like, okay, Grandpa, cool. Yeah, thanks, Grandpa. Um, <laughs> bye. Yeah. You know, it's like, the, it's like the grandfather that, like, oh, Grandpa, can I get Minecraft? And then they buy him, you know, Minecomp. You know, like, oh, sorry, son. I didn't mean to. Ah, yeah, and and once again, to uh, to the screenwriter's credit, she does introduce um a a, or or create a a wholesale new character. We have uh Daniel Upton's wife, Marion Upton, who is not uh you know we we can assume that from the story because he gets married and he has a child, but her as a character is not really named or given lines per se, and it's an interesting angle because. As we've just talked about, it's sort of since she is a psychologist and she does have some agency and opinions, she voices this uh, idea and opinion of like, I I think there's just something psychologically wrong with your best friend. Right. But the thing is, we are we we, we don't really believe that because one, I I mean, sure, we we immediately have a bias because we know the source material. So we know that's not the case. So if someone is coming to this new, they might be able to assume, yeah, this guy just seems crazy. but also. By hitting so continuously on this idea of black magic and necromancy, it's like, well, I don't know if I necessarily believe that there's something wrong with him, because once again, we also don't know enough about the Edward Derby character and his internal life to really give credence to, like, yeah, he's, there might be something, like, not quite right with him. It's just, we have to kind of take someone's word for it. Yeah, it's like, like you even said with how it's basically Lovecraft, you know, Derby's Lovecraft, and like... (laughs) They even kind of have that thing where when he was 17, he wrote this brilliant book, you know, of the macabre, you know, like with, with crazy imagery. And he's never, repli- you know, replicated that since. And it's almost telling that mm-hmm. Lovecraft would even write that, like, oh, I wrote one really good thing years ago, <laughs> but I've never done that again. Mm. So now people look at me as just this eccentric weirdo. Yeah. And that's probably what he felt about himself, you know, like, that's actually probably one of the most biographical things about him, like, well, yeah, you know, I'm kind of a failure, but I did something good one time, you know, like, 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 that was good. I don't know what he was, like, referencing, but that was good. (laughs) Um, Well, it it could have been that guy who was, well, he, I guess he didn't know that he was close to the end of his life, but. In retrospect, it was he was near the end of his life, so he might have been looking back on sort of the things that he was working on. But and and this was written shortly after Out the Mountains of Madness, so maybe he was looking back at that. But that could be yeah, that could be it too. But, um, yeah, yeah, I and I think it's also uh, it's not just that the the film takes place in contemporary times, but the book the book the short story also does take place over some time. Like they talk about how they met as kids and. It's interesting how they're they're kind of joined together by this macabre stuff because Derby would write it and Upton would draw the pictures for it. Right, right. They even talk about the uh, the poem book that he wanted to write. Yeah. And, they, you know, like to draw his dreams and like so like and, and you you know, you mentioned in the, um, you know, in the notes about the uh, weird like f- are they flashbacks? Are they like in the <sighs> yeah. beach and like. And like I don't know, like is 
is that supposed to be like you know the tell of like you know the uh because they do reference like the the woman that smells like fish yeah and like mm-hmm. you know what i mean i think that's what it's trying to do but like if you don't like know that like i mean i, I don't know maybe i'm spitballing but if you don't like have that in your head like yeah it's like what are these even referencing? And then, like, when he... The, the only time it actually kind of, quote-unquote, makes sense is when Daniel's um, shooting Edward, but it's actually technically him shooting Asenith. Yeah. And on the beach, he's shooting her on the beach. And, but, but no, but it, it's still... It's, it's trying to do, like, this, like, hyper-blown-out... Like look like, and that's the other problem that you talk about. But we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to the aesthetic. Yeah. Um. Yeah. 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 Please. <laughs> but but that the flashbacks like they kind of like jarring and like like the only flashbacks that I thought made sense or not even flashback but like kind of that creepy imagery was when it's like her as a child and like when they're in the, her 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 childhood home and he's walking and then she's walking as a child and then you see the hanging. Of you know, and like that, I thought was okay for a low budget horror movie, and I've seen a lot, and you know, a lot of times the special effects look like crap, <laughs> or you know, but at least I understood what that was going for, and it's like okay, I'm okay with that. Like that's the extent. But then, but yeah, the the flashback thing, it's just like. Is that just thrown in there for like an extra four minutes of like footage? Yeah, it seems like it's it's paying lip service to that idea of of that thing of in the story where like yeah he I drew his you know I drew my dreams or I kind of right because the problem with starting it now when they're both adults is that idea of like we we don't really know what Upton does for work like he has a very nice house but we we don't right. we don't see that he you know he and they keep going back to him and you know his 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 decrepit room where he's got all of his notes like tacked onto the wall and he's clearly yeah. drawing and going insane. But I, I think there, there's an interesting idea or thread that could have been like, Hey, yeah, when we were younger, we were indulging in this dark stuff. Like, Hey, we're, we're old and we're past this. Like, I, yeah, let's get and and, and Derby still is not. And clearly he's still kind of indulging in it to an unhealthy degree. And that's where then you have that kind of, that juxtaposition and that idea of like, yeah, is is there something wrong with Derby or is there really something dark going on here? But we don't know enough about either of them as a character to kind of really have any investment in what they're doing. Yeah, like I, you know, with certain characters in, in films or literature, I don't always even mind if someone's one dimensional, but that one dimension has to be interesting, yeah. you know, and like, like you said, where. Derby is, you know, he still he goes to the to the um, the intellectual meanings of Arkham, you know, like with all the profess, you know, that one professor and Harold and like all these beautiful, like I think that was, was like the beautiful women that like you know, like you know, you know what I mean, like they're all like creepy and like you know, acid. It's a hypnotist and like, ooh, how yeah. how like like oh, but she's real, like she's a real hypnotist, not not one of the those fake ones on tv you know like mm-hmm. but it's just like i i don't know it's it like it does like it almost feels like they should have just put it back in like the 30s like like it i don't know and you could have the wife character the wife characters would still work like you know in there at you know you could have her you know 
being a psychologist still like you could have that and just you know and then like like you said with with the ending of well not the ending but throughout the whole film he's retelling this tale and like he has all the notes and the pictures so i want to ask you about that like so in the in the movie is is he just like living in a room somewhere now, like crazy? <laughs> is he in, is he in an asylum? Uh, I, is he like because where's the wife and his child now? I, you know what? It, it's a it's a good question and one that I was thinking about and didn't come right? to an answer to because it is no. it, once again it's a sort of thing of, of trying to be too faithful to the source material where it's like we have this narrator who's, uh, kind of postscript kind of writing like here's all this crazy shit that happens and yeah. that works if what we then see or were continuously seeing through the film is they, a narrator who is slowly slipping into insanity, which Upton doesn't do. Not really. No, like, like throughout he's kind of like, I believe my, my, my friend, but, and that's it. Like he really is a good friend. He's like, no, I believe my friend, like something's wrong with him. Like something's going on. She, she's abusing him. But we don't see, like you could have played it like, and it's not even the actor's fault. Like if, the, th- the thread line could have been like, oh, is 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 it really Edward? Like, you know, you there's ways with a better, you know, direction where you could have had this question. Even if you know the story, mm. you have the question throughout the whole thing. Is he going mad too? Is Edward mad? Is Asenet this evil, like, non-human being, like, that wants to become human? Mm-hmm. You know, a male human being, which I think is a good idea too, but like, it doesn't meld. It doesn't mesh together yeah. at all. I'd like to think that uh, it's just sort of, it's still, he's fine in contemporary, he's still happily married with his wife, but he's like, honey, I'm going to go in, in, into the shack and just brood for right. a little bit. That That's what I was thinking too, because like <laughs> at the end with the whole, you know, spoiler alert, but the knock, he hears the knock, they're like, wait, but I killed him. But he knows that's coming. He knows it's not over, but, <clears throat> so you still have your, like, like, Honey, don't answer that door. You know who it is. It's a uh, devil, Edward. You know, yeah. like, like, don't. But or is he just in this weird place now? Like he separated himself from his wife and child, so they'd be safe. I, I, no, that doesn't make any sense either. And here's so while you've been talking, I've been thinking. Here, here's two ways I think this film that that the relationship could have been a bit stronger, and where the tension could have been built a bit better throughout this. So. Let's say you said it in the 1930s, if they had the budget for that. You said it in the 1930s at the height of sort of the the spiritualism movement, where you had all sorts of hypnotists and people and people, you know, mediums talking to the dead and that sort of thing. Um, and then Azeneth is one of those people, and uh, you know, and then you kind of make Upton and his wife sort of a religious, like Christian people who are sort of curious about this sort of thing. So they they yeah. kind of have this like, okay, this is interesting, but then eventually it sort of spoils or goes kind of darker and maybe she starts talking and and, you know you eventually kind of have this this unraveling where it's like oh well this started as one thing and we thought you were one thing you become something else yeah but or or you you go with the contemporary setting because clearly they didn't have the budget to to do much with it then you make it as sort of like oh you you know you you play up that thing of she's a hypnotist like in just uh because there was that opening scene when they're not opening scene but that scene when she's sort of with the intelligentsia and she's doing the hypnotism things yeah. Even have that where it's just kind of, or it's even playful, like, oh yeah, she she performs fun like hypnotism and parlor tricks, kind of a thing, right? And and then you have Upton, who is a 
let's say a hardcore skeptic was like, yeah, I'm not buying any of this kind of like party game shit. But then slowly stuff starts happening. Where it's like, well, that yeah, wait, that's, that's weird. Yeah, like how did how did that happen? Like, mm-hmm. There's little things that yeah, like and like it never really delves into the whole like um, servants that have been with yeah. her family for like we're creepy. Like I like to touch your stomach. <laughs> like like oh well, like, that scene like made me laugh because I thought the baby would like the way it it almost acts is like oh it's just a bit of hysteria like she just we all had a laugh mm-hmm. like what you had a like don't touch my wife's stomach like like you weirdo that doesn't speak like <laughs> probably have no you probably have no tongue because this is a this is a lovecraft story so you know <laughs> it's a terrible i don't know it's just so stupid like i hate that yeah and and also what <laughs> Why this? One of the reasons this film was behind the eight ball was then this woman who gets hypnotized at the party, and then we see her driving away, and then she is spitting up all this water, and we hear like, "Oh, you know, she she drowned, but in her a, car." A, a, no, no, a dry drowning. <laughs> which what? Which is not a thing. Um, no, not at all. Oh, because she she was pregnant, so babies, you know, have a lot of moisture. So you, you, right, I, I think that's what they were trying to come up with. I'm like. No, that's still no, no. Th- this is, and that's what like even Daniels was like. No, that makes like he even says like that doesn't make any sense. Like no, this is this is kind of weird that she died like that. Because now at that point, our characters are unaware, or or kind of have skeptic or have some skepticism as to that woman's death and how Azneth played into it. We see those things happening, so we yeah. know. But then by oh, introducing yeah. that early you completely eliminate and negate this threat of, like, maybe Derby's just going insane. We don't know. It's like, no, we know that she is a witch. We've seen it. So there goes all your tension and doubt. Yeah, like, because, I mean, yeah, you don't really see, like, because he, he hears it at the party. Like, mm-hmm. the party that 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 you basically find out that Derby's gotten married. Like, you know, like, oh, I just got married today. Like, what? Like, and then, he, and then Daniel overhears that weird conversation. I think it's with the girl that was the student of Harold, right? Like the, the one that was having an affair with Harold. Was that who it was? I think that's who it was. The one that spits up and like dies. I think it's the student. You might, you might. No, 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 no. Cause I think, I think when uh, Upton shows up to the party, he kind of like interferes with that dude flirting with her. You know, it's kind of like, Oh, how's your student or whatever he does to kind of insert himself in the conversation. Whereas the hypnotism thing is kind of happening in the back room while all that's going on. already. That's true. Yeah, I don't even know. I mean, I don't even think it matters. But, like, I thought it was all alluded to that she was pregnant from Harold. But, like, I don't know. It, either way, she was pregnant and she died of a dry drowning. Like, <laughs> because the of end. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that's the, the story. Yeah. You know? Um, and, and because I think there is the story itself does have a good emotional ending where it's sort of like I, I had to kill my own or or no. I, I watched my best friend kind of disintegrate in front of me and then had to kill this thing which was acting as my best friend. And right. on the page that on the page that exists in the film, it's just there's no emotional impact because of so many things. Um, not the least of which is what we alluded to, the the aesthetic of this movie. And once again, yeah, I recognize they're probably working with a very low budget, but... So they, 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 you know, they couldn't afford to shoot on film and have Janusz Kaminski flash the celluloid before it goes into the camera to, <laughs> to create this desaturated Saving Private Ryan look. But instead, they try to recreate that digitally 
by committing this horrendous crime of both over uh, of both like kind of overexposing and then over contrasting the frame so what we get is an attempt to kind of take color and and desaturation or and desaturation out by kind of like making the whites a bit whiter and everything a bit more gray and black but it just instead it uh it doesn't lead to any kind of mood or tension it just kind of leads instead to me kind of being like you were clearly fiddling with this in post because you wanted to feel something that didn't exist while you were filming it no i agree it's like i kind of love when you look up related news on imdb that it kind of says it's best like dim lighting makes it tough to get a look at the thing on the doorstep (laughs) i think that's like the best little thing because like like that that's my biggest problem with the last like maybe 15 probably almost 20 years now of like low budget filmmaking Mm -hmm. where they try to replicate the look of something that looks washed out and you know like either it's just it's a continuous problem that it just hurts it after a while it hurts my eyes like Mm -hmm. where i'm like what am i looking at like looking at this it looks like smudges on the screen and like it's sad because you see these people and it was like, you know, then you have like this, you know, and don't get me wrong. There's little, there's little ways to do it with lighting. Like you just have just light it differently. Like, I, like I have friends that make super low budget films and they don't look this bad, you know, <laughs> like my, you know, like my ex made short films like, like that I'm in and like where it looks better and it's shot digitally, but she knew how to light stuff like you know she knew you know oh i can't wash it out Mm -hmm. i can't do that that's gonna look like shit Mm -hmm. you know and like and and that's the thing but a lot of feel like especially and you know horror is my love but especially when it comes to low budget horror films they try to replicate you know the the whole thing and like and it's sad because when i watch older low budget horror films from like the 70s and 80s Yeah, they look like crap, but they look like crap that was filmed on 35 millimeter, <laughs> which yeah. makes it look a little bit better. Like, you know what I mean? It's it's kind of a weird thing where low budget films back then will always, to me, look better, you know, especially when a company like Vinegar Syndrome cleans it up and makes it actually look really good crap. You know, like it like you 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 shine up that turd and it's still it actually looks great. But this <laughs> You can't do anything with this. This is always going to look bad. Always. Yeah, it's it's the blessing and the curse of of uh, digital technology in the sense of it's it's democratized filmmaking a bit more where mm-hmm. anyone can kind of tell their story now. But the thing is, that also means anyone can tell their story now. Um, yeah. And if you yeah. look in the credits of this, it was uh, and, and, and to be clear, we don't think this movie is terrible. It's not no, very it's no. not very good. Um. But uh, Tom Gleiserman, who directed it, was also the cinematographer and also the editor. Yeah, he was doing a lot, you know, I mean, and, you know, not the best work, but he was he was trying. This is this was his like we've talked about this a few times where a lot of times cause I don't think he, I don't know if he ever made another feature film. This director, he has, or... he has not, as far as I know, the, the next thing that right. he's uh, credited with is, on IMDb, at least, is uh, a, a a short from uh, 2016, which despite the fact that it says 2016 on IMDb, it still says in parentheses, completed. 
Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, and it's called The Outage, and it's it's also written by uh, Mary Jane Hansen as well. So I don't know. Maybe they're partners. Uh, maybe they're romantic partners or just working partners. But um, the other thing on IMDb that he is credited for, 1986. Yeah. A short, uh, a documentary short called Rag Dolly in the USSR, in which this is the summary, documentary about the successful Moscow production of the Broadway musical raggedy ann and the still yeah. that they have from it is terrifying and it's not yes. something that i ever want to look I'll, at that looks more like horrific than the movie <laughs> it does. like i need to now I, I need to find that that but it's just so weird 1986 yeah and then 2014 mm-hmm. like that's a that's a long time between like i don't know it just it's very strange like i don't know yeah who knows for all I know, that like IMDb is a little um, wonky sometimes. Where if someone has the same name, they'll put both together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If if no, if you don't notice it, because there's certain films that I'm like, that he didn't make that. <laughs> and then you find out someone like with the name like instead of Tom Stein with I E, it's E I, you know, or something like you're like, wait, then how did you how did you mess that up? But yeah. I need to find that though because a Raggedy Ann musical from the from Russia during the Cold War. Right. Yeah, and <laughs> IMDb is also by no means a comprehensive collection of a person's career. Now maybe he was doing oh yeah commercials, maybe he was doing stuff for local TV, maybe he was teaching that kind. Of, but it it does seem kind of weird that if it's accurate. He does this documentary short of a, of an interesting nonfiction thing in 1986, and then doesn't do anything again for almost 30 years, in which uh, he apparently was inspired enough where he's like, you know what, I've always wanted to make an adaptation of the thing on the doorstep. Yeah, I mean, that's how that's how it, a lot of times actually that's kind of it. It's like Lovecraft. He it's it's something that's been itching at the back of his mind. He's like one day he's like I need to tell this story. I need to put it out there, and then. But okay, like <laughs> did, did you did you tell it well? Was it worth the thirty year wait? You know, I I think I think you know what this film is. This film is it's a it's it's a not offensive. It's not it's not offensive at all. Like it's 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 a decent watch. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's a good it's a good Sunday afternoon watch. That's kind of what this is. It's not like if if it happened to be on TV. And I was like switching channels, and I like, oh, what's this? Oh, Lovecraft. Okay, and I'd watch it, and afterward, I'd be like, okay, that was all right. It wasn't that good, but I don't, I, I don't hate that I watched it. You know what I mean? I don't go, oh, God, yeah, you know, it, thing on a doorstep. God, it, it's it's not something that I loved and would recommend. But uh, if all of a sudden someone's like, hey, have you seen that? I'd be like, yeah, it was it was fine. Um, I, I certainly, I think, I certainly think it's a uh, I don't want to say if it's better than Cthulhu, but I think I enjoyed watching it more than I enjoyed watching Cthulhu. Same. Um, Same. Which is funny because uh, now that I've listened to that uh, Best Movies Never Made episode on on Out the Mountains of Madness, one of the co-hosts brings up that film as an example of a really interesting adaptation, which I was like, ah, hard disagree. Um, Yeah, I remember, actually, I had listened to that episode before we started our podcast, which actually made me excited about watching that film. mm -hmm. Like, oh, cool then i watched it i'm like um agree to, yeah agree to disagree <laughs> uh, one one other note that i didn't hit upon which i find uh to be funny in sort of a dark like you gotta be fucking kidding me kind of way is uh <laughs> the thing on the doorstep is also um the 
one of the only Lovecraft short stories I can remember that introduces a significant female character in the sense of she has lines, she plays a part in the narrative, uh, but actually then it turns out, one, she's evil, and two, she's actually possessed by the spirit of her dad, so in a way it's just kind of a man uh, possessing a woman body anyway, so sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Thanks, Lovecraft. You tried. <laughs> you you almost tried for once, you know. <laughs> right. You know, and I guess this might have been written at a time like after he had uh, married and divorced, so maybe he was you know a bit more open-minded to including um, women in his stories. But still, it's kind of like okay, so it's a woman, but it's also would this be the definition of like a Lovecraft Mary Sue character? <laughs> yeah, I I think I think that's a good. That we need to start that hashtag, Lovecraft Mary Sue. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's that? Yeah. Oh well, we'll we'll tell you. We'll tell you what that is. Yeah. Um, you know, I I find it funny because like when we were, you know, talking about doing this, and then you know we had to pull an audible and we did the thing instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, last episode, and then, um, funny. I'm glad like I didn't just jump on the first thing on the doorstep I saw on online because there's one from 2003 and that i don't know that that cover art looks abysmal um and you know i don't like to judge you know sometimes uh you know book is better than its cover but not not always and and like but i was like what is that i'm like and i almost was gonna watch that as well but i'm like i i can't i, I can't i like unless i know unless i know it's for a reason like a good reason, like talking to you about a certain film. I can't, I was like, I can't watch another adaptation of this right now. Like, like this is, I, I've gotten my, my, my belly full <laughs> from the thing under the doorstep. Like I'm good. You know, what, what's, what's next on the, uh, the menu? We'll, we'll, we'll decide. But like that, I was like one day, maybe I'll see if I could find the 2003 one. Maybe, maybe we'll wait a while and we'll cover that at some point. Right, uh, yeah. Um, no. <laughs> and, and I mean, if if it was available streaming anywhere, I was actually thinking uh, January we do a Color Out of Space um, double feature because of, one, mm. the Richard Stanley one coming up, but then apparently also there's uh, an adaptation mm. from 1987 starring Will Wheaton yeah. uh, called The Curse. Yes, um, I, I love The Curse. The oh, Curse. really? Well, it's, I mean, to be honest, I, I, for, I had forgotten that it's technically a Lovecraft um, adaptation, mm. and I'm like, oh, it actually... It kind of makes sense now, like that. I'm like, because now I'm replaying it in my head. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's out on Blu-ray from um, Scream Factory. Um, oh. Yeah, it this it's one of those weird horror series that you know the first one did well enough that then they made like three or four sequels <laughs> that have nothing to do with the first one. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I love about it. But um, yeah, the first Will Whedon, like that. It's a it's a it's it. From what I remember, it's a fun, you know, horror gore type stuff. Like, so it's more on the gore side, at least from what I remember. Okay, but. yeah, and and it's funny because the uh, the IMDb summary of it doesn't credit Lovecraft as a writer; it just credits the the screenwriter right. David Chaskin. But the summary is: when a meteorite lands near his family farm during a storm in Tennessee, the son of a struggling farmer believes it's connected to strange plague-like events afflicting yeah. the crops the farm animals, and even the family themselves. And I just find it funny that themselves is spelled T-H-E-M-E-S-E-L-V-E-S. So it's themselves. Themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, they had it spelled wrong because then Lovecraft's ghost would sue them. I don't know. Like, like... 
but I did I did after hearing that and once again that was also brought up in the the best movies never made episode I remember looking it up and I, it's only available on DVD but um, oh, okay. we we don't we don't really have a plan for January anyway which is probably a good place for us to sort of wrap up unless you have any final comments you want to make about um 2014's the thing on the doorstep no I think we spoke enough about it I think <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, <laughs> Uh, not not terrible, not very good. Uh, great adaptation, not a very good film. Um, you know, it, well, the one funny thing, one other thing I forgot to uh, bring up on IMDb, three point seven out of ten stars from one hundred eighty one reviews. But the written reviews, there's only yeah. six of them, mm-hmm. and th- like three or f- like two or three of them are eight out of ten stars. Yeah, I saw that. I'm like, well, it's one. One of the eight out of ten stars even says this should have been f- made. Like this should have been based in the thirties or something. <laughs> yeah. So they like they really liked it, but it should have been in the thirties. Yeah. They, they they and all but those those two or two or three at least kind of they they seem to really like it because of how faithful it is. Which um, I think we've thoroughly debunked the value of that on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of times it's family members and you know friends that are writing those things, but I could be wrong. I, yeah, yeah I, I, who knows? But um, yeah, that's uh, that's that's it for um this episode. That's it for the month. That also means it's it for the year. Um, the next oh. time, yeah, the next time we'll be talking to each other and, and to you will be 2020. And uh, listen, to be honest with you, we don't have a film lined up for for next episode. But you know, it's Christmas and then it's New Year's. We're gonna take a little bit of time off, as I'm sure you're gonna be taking a little bit of time off as well. So. Um, as was the case with Halloween, I'll ask you, James, do you have any, any special plans for the Christmas holiday? Um, Christmas this year, um, not much, um, basically just, you know, spending time with family. You know, actually, good thing about, here's, here's the good thing about doing overnights, mm-hmm. okay? There's, there's one, one pretty good thing. The good thing is you don't work on, um, Christmas Eve or Christmas Day at all. Okay. Because there's no trucks on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, so technically um, I work until Monday night, until Tuesday, and then I'm off until that Thursday. So like, you know, so I'm I, I can relax. Um, and pro- probably Christmas. Well, I already know on Christmas Day I'm going to be going seeing uh, Rise of Skywalker. Okay. Um, because I already bought tickets. You know, because I have the draft house pass. So I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. Let me let me get a ticket and then because I'm um, even if the movie sucks I don't care I I had to get um because the draft house has the offer you get um the light side and dark side uh, pint glasses because I need more pint glasses in my life <laughs> you know I don't even drink I don't even drink much beer anymore like like it's like once maybe a week now if I if I have time to drink a beer but I have enough pint glasses to like open my own bar you know it's, no I, it's kind of fun. I hear that yeah but um and then new year's you know just gonna be with my girlfriend and her friends and just you know party into the night and hopefully come on to the other side you know <laughs> there you go um we uh, actually, <laughs> how about you well first first and foremost uh this episode won't be uh go will be going up a couple days after i've recorded this but as of this recording my fiance and i saw the rise of skywalker this morning oh okay there you go and uh and now what, what were your what were your thoughts on if you can keep them short yeah. force awakens and the last jedi okay um as as succinct as possible um force awakens i enjoyed 
mm-hmm. for what it was, you know, a good return, better than the prequels, you know, of course. Sure. Um, Last Jedi, I didn't like when I left. You know, I, I like parts, but I didn't really like the film. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a big fan. Like, so I'm kind and and I, and I like Ryan Johnson a lot. So it's not like, oh, I hate Ryan Johnson. No, I just wasn't that big of a fan of the film. But I'm going like, you know, before Wednesday, I'm going to rewatch both of them just so I can kind of have the story of these new characters together. But it just almost feels I don't know. I'm just feels like almost like a retread of the same story, which kind of I think is the point mm-hmm. that it's cyclical. You know, it's always the same shit that happens with these people, you know? <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, I don't know. How about you? Like, how were you with those? I force awakens. I thought was fine. Um, like I, I was certainly excited to, to be seeing the first new star Wars in what was it? When did, when did revenge of the Sith come out? 2014 and, or 2004. And then, yeah, Away. So like in, in, you know, over, over a decade, um, but I thought it was mostly fine. Um, the last Jedi made my top 10 of the year that it came out. Mm. Uh, I think at number 10, so it just barely squeaked in there, but I do love that movie. I love what Ryan Johnson did with it. I, I love that, uh, especially in Knives Out, he, he sort of took some of the, the criticisms from the trolls, uh, and kind of threw them back in their face, uh, which I thought was kind of great. Um, and I don't know. And so I was, I'll be honest, we were both kind of nervous going in because, mm-hmm. you know, we tried to avoid reading stuff as much as we could, but same. You, you go through Twitter and you go through Facebook and you're going to see some stuff. And so I uh, had kind of prepared myself like, well, I'm going to be real disappointed with this movie. And uh, we, we were both, we were both fans. We liked it. Um, it oh, good. It's, it's kind of, in, in my opinion, it's kind of this iteration of Return of the Jedi because it's sort of like, listen, it's not as good as what came before, but also it's it's not bad either um i i kind of don't understand why people hate it um i i actually think that abrams did a decent job of sort of trying to swing the pendulum away from the direction of like let's revolutionize everything but also i think he honors some of what johnson did in a decent way okay that's that's all I, that's all i want like i don't want i don't want it like i wanted to Stick the landing as well as it can. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I think, and also I, I do believe no matter what you, and I mean the general you, are going to be unhappy no matter what, because this is 42 years of a, of a franchise coming to an end. Um, there's nothing that's going to please anyone 100%. Uh, the, the one thing I will say is it's kind of weird that Iron Man, that RDJ shows up at the end. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, kind of <laughs> trying to constrip, because uh, it's uh, trying to constrip them into the uh, into Guardians of the Galaxy. It's a bit of a weird, out there sort of twist, but it works, I think. <laughs> well, our, our, one one last question. Are you going to see Cats at all? Um, <laughs> I I will not. Um, my my fiance did. And oh, wow. Wow. OK, she survived. I, yeah. And, and I'll. And I'll Without going into, into to too much detail about it, her, her big takeaway was she just kind of wondered if if everyone's okay. Um, because it, not just that this was a movie, but also that this was a movie based on a, a, a huge cultural phenomenon that makes no fucking sense. Right, yeah. Like 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 cat people that grind on you while you're watching the Broadway show. Right. It's not fun. Like, get off me. <laughs> like, in, an idea that was so clearly inspired by a coke-fueled, like, fantasy that it's like, uh... <laughs> okay it is um yeah i I, lo- I love the birth movies death um review the t- title 
Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, and, and apparently, as of once again, as of today, I was told by a friend that um, even as of today, Saturday, December twenty first, they were sending patches to theaters to kind of correct some of the unfinished effects works that was going into the film. So, uh, wait, really? There was patches? What is it? A friggin' computer game? <laughs> like, <laughs> hold on, get. Get get the game up. Oh, it's not ready. Uh, put some patches on it. It's okay. <laughs> it's, uh, so what? Listen, that that's that that is it, that is what it is. Um, but in in answer to the question you asked minutes ago, uh, for Christmas I will be. It'll be a, a low key one for me. I will be in New Jersey with my parents. My fiance will be in South Carolina with her family. Um, I I unfortunately have to work the Monday before Christmas Eve, and then I have to be back the day after Christmas for work, so I I don't get too much time off. But uh, um, yeah. I think if I I might I'm I'm undecided yet. I might take my parents to see 1917 on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. Um, so just because it's just the three of us, so it'll be like yeah, you know, Dad likes war movies, and Mom just you know likes spending time. So we we might we might do that. Who knows? Yeah, or. You can take them to go see Uncut Gems and see what they're <laughs> with Adam Sandler with a Furby necklace. <laughs> I still need to see that. I actually, that's yeah. one of my most anticipated films of the year. So it's no, no joke, actually. <laughs> no, it's it's on it's on my list uh, as well. So I I don't have there's there's a couple things that I maybe might try and check out uh, on streaming, including I still haven't seen uh, Dolomite is my name and Me either. Um, I'm I'm ashamed by that because I love. Rudy Ray Moore and Dolomite. So I'm like, how have I not watched it yet? Come on. Right. Um, and uh, I, I might. It came out in August, but uh, Tigers are not afraid. I still wanted to check out. Yeah, I, I is that on? Is that on Shutter or it's yeah. on? Yeah, yeah, it's on Shutter. So, um, yeah. but, but I mean, between those and then you know, 1917 and uh, Uncut Gems, and then if I can try and squeeze it in, probably um, Little Women and. Uh, Black Christmas, if it's still around, because that seems to yeah. be disappearing pretty quick because of the box office taken. Yeah. But um, well, yeah, I guess. But uh, so that, like I said, that does it for the episode. That does it for the month. That does it for the year. Um, that does it for the decade, technically. Right? Yeah, that, that, that's that's true as well. So um, we do uh, we you know from James and Cthulhu and I, we do want to wish everyone out there. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah. We hope you have a wonderful New Year's. We hope that, you know, 2019's been a bit rough. 2020 certainly has a potential to to be rougher, but also the potential to be better as well. Um, so that's in a grand scale and on an intimate scale as well. So we are, you know, certainly hoping that the uh, existential madness of Lovecraft's various protagonists do not hit home to you and just kind of instead you... You feel yourself uh, elated and energized and kind of ready to take on a new year and a new slate of films. I know I can speak on behalf of both of us. We're uh, we're we're excited for Color Out of Space at least in January. Yep, definitely, hundred um, percent. But uh, yeah. So before a final sign off, one more thing, James. If he, if I'm going to put you on the spot right now, because I am, um, <laughs> assuming that well, I mean, taking into consideration you haven't seen Uncut Gems yet, what's your number one film of 2019? Um, crap. Mm, God, I don't. What have I watched? Oh, you know what? Like, to be honest, the the film that I 
watched the most in theaters and actually truly loved, and like I don't care what people say, whatever, mm-hmm. was uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. I'm going to go with that one. I mean, some other ones, like, there's been other films that have stuck with me, but that one I watched three times in theaters, and it's oh. the first film in a while that I actually bought right away on Blu-ray Okay. Like the day it came out, like I was like, "Oh shit, it's out!" Because I don't really follow that anymore. When like new releases, like I'm, I'm I tend to buy stuff from like 27 years ago. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, let me buy the, this old like you know film that three people watched, you know, back then, and then on a video. But yeah, that I'll I'll, I'll stick with that. It'll probably change a hundred times, but yeah, that one I, I actually truly loved. That one, it's that one's certainly on my top ten, but I think. If I had to choose a number one, mm. I think it might be Parasite. You know what? Parasites, Parasite might, that might inch into it. Like, if I watch that one again, yeah, because I really, truly love that film. That that film, I need to get that soundtrack, too, on uh, yeah. vinyl. And, and it, it helped that I saw it so soon after I did uh, Bong Joon-ho films on I Do Movies Badly. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So I was already kind of like, okay, I get what this guy can do and, and how he works as a director and just like, oh my god, this is this is everything he's done, but like to yeah. perfection. Like, I don't understand how this man works, but it's amazing. Yeah, no, that that's a, that's a great film. Mm-hmm. But, um, well, we, you know, we certainly won't waste any time, especially, I mean, considering when this episode comes out, everyone's going to be heading home celebrating doing everything that they everything that they are already going to be doing so um on on behalf of all of us thank you for listening to this episode thank you for listening to this podcast it is still in its early stages but hopefully it catches on and is something that will uh that will um you know take off in the future who knows yeah you never know like lovecraft will take off too (laughs) (laughs) but uh (laughs) Yeah, uh, pay attention to our, our Twitter feed and our Facebook page to kind of get uh, get an idea of what we're going to be covering for our next film. Like I said, we're going to be taking a little bit of time off, but certainly be mindful of that because we'll be uh, active at least in kind of updating you. So, um, yeah, uh, pay attention to that. And, uh, yeah, but in the meantime, uh, we'll be waiting and dreaming of sugar plums dancing through our heads with dead Cthulhu at his house in Relia. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba